You know, one of the things that I love about Parkway Church is that we take a stand on issues. And we have to. Not for the sake of politics, left or right. We don't speak for the left or the right. We speak for the one who made us right by giving us life in himself. We don't speak towards politics. We speak towards issues because the Bible addresses these things. And as we look at wrapping up the series Kings and Kingdoms, you realize that when you say that Jesus is your king and you're living for his kingdom, his word and his will here on earth, when you say that he is your king and you're a part of his kingdom, that has implications on your life. There is a tug on your life, a call on your life, an expectation of your life because he is your king. And today we're going to see how the kingdom progressed. As, as you know, in the first week of this series, we looked and we said that the people of God made a really bad decision. They chose a substitute king. Rather than following God himself, they said, we want a king like all the other countries around us have. The warning was this, if you make yourself subject to a king, you'll be subject to an imperfect man, and you will pay a price for that. So they chose a king anyway. King Saul came and was rejected not once but twice and replaced by David, a man after God's own heart. And then we saw last week when David passed away, he passed the legacy of his life on through his son. A king's legacy is relationships. It's not position in power or possessions. It's in relationships. And now we get to the end of Solomon's life. And if you study scripture at all, you're like, Mike, of all the lives that I don't want to fast forward through, that's Solomon's life. Solomon lived a very, very interesting life. And we're going to study more about it as we go through Ecclesiastes and as we go through Song of Solomon. But we pick up the story today in 1 Kings. So if you brought your Bible, you can open up with me to 1 Kings. And as we open our Bibles, if you didn't bring your Bible, no worries. We've got an outline for you in your bulletin. And we've got an app that you can download and follow along there as well. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11. Here's where the story begins for the day. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of annals of Solomon? So Solomon did some amazing stuff, and it's recorded in, in, in history. And Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over, 40, over all Israel for 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestor and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. So you go from the judges to the kings. You've got Saul, you've got David, you've got Solomon, and now you've got Rehoboam. And before your eyes glaze over and you go, what in the world am I going to learn from today's history lesson? Well, here's what we're going to learn. And I hope you see this through all of our study of Scripture, that there is no section of Scripture, there is no, there is no passage in the Bible that's irrelevant to your life today. It's all relevant. It is living and active. It cuts us to the very core. It exposes us for who we are. It's all relevant. And from today's history lesson, what we're going to learn is that if we know what divides us as people, we know what unites us as people. Because what we're about to see is the people of God will be divided. And it's a painful split. Let's read about it together. Rehoboam went to Shechem. 
For all Israel had gone there to make him king. It was time to coordinate the king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, this guy Jeroboam, we get to know two people here, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam had escaped because he rebelled against King Solomon. But when he heard Solomon was dead and that Rehoboam was about to be king, he came out of exile. The son of Nebat, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt, verse 3. So they sent for Jeroboam, and, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. So we've got a young man who's about to be king. And as he is becoming king and deciding what type of king he's going to be, a coalition of people led by Jeroboam come and say, hey, your dad, he was a builder. Hey, your dad, he drove hard. Hey, your dad, he put a heavy burden on us. And if you lighten the burden on us just a bit, we will follow you. And just like every father's had to decide what kind of father will I be, or every boss has had to decide what kind of boss will I be, or every school teacher's had to decide what kind of school teacher will I be, Rehoboam in this moment would get to decide what kind of king he would be. And he didn't have an answer immediately. So here's what he did. Keep reading 12 verse 5. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. And now we're going to see is Rehoboam is going to gather two different groups of people to get their opinion on this issue. And here's how it played out. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. So he gathered together the, the people with experience. He gathered together the elders. He gathered together likely the godly crowd that had led with his father. And they replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. The elders told him, this is a no-brainer. The people have come and said, lighten the load and we will follow you. It's a no-brainer. You serve them today and they will follow you forever. You serve them and they will serve you. This is servant leadership straight in the Old Testament. It's the same type of leadership that Jesus displayed for us. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we see here is Rehoboam has an option. He can be a servant leader and they will follow him because he served them on this one day that will follow him every day. Well, he didn't like that advice. And so he gathered together his friends. He gathered together his circle. His dad's friends said, do this. His dad's elders said, do this. So he went for some of his contemporaries. But Rehoboam, keep reading, 1 Kings 12, 8 through 11. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He said, boys, it's time to get off Fortnite. It's time to get off the video games. It's time to stop chasing the ladies. I need some advice. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Verse 10, the young man who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. 
Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. The elders told him, serve today and they will serve you forever. The young one said, double down. If they fear you today, they will follow you forever. What kind of king would Rehoboam The story continues. He rejected the advice of the elders. You're a smart crowd. You know what's coming next. 1 Kings 12, 12 through 17. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam. As the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Did you see what the elders told them? They said, if you give them a favorable answer, they will serve you. How did the king answer? The king gave them a harsh answer. He gave them a harsh answer. And here it is. He followed the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord, so as to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahai, the Shilonite. So what the king did, instead of offering a moment to lift the burden, he doubled down. Did you catch the the image? He said, my pinky is bigger than my father's waist. Now that's a big pinky. Or that was a tiny waist, I'm not sure which. But the king looked and said, I am not gonna lighten the load. I'm not gonna lessen my expectations. In fact, I'm gonna raise them. I'm gonna raise the bar. And when he did this, he divided the kingdom. Ten of the tribes went home to the northern kingdom. Two went home to form the southern kingdom. When the king acted as he did, he divided the kingdom. And the kingdom from the south, the the two tribes, they were going to go to battle with the ten tribes, the northern kingdom. But God told them, don't go fight against your brother. Don't go fight. And so that's as far as I want to take the story today. Because what we're going to learn is what unites us. Because we know what divides us. The king, Rehoboam, did some horrible things as a leader. We might do these very same things as we lead our homes, dads. We might do these very same things as we lead wherever God has placed us, men and women. We may do these things, but I hope we don't because we see the warning from Scripture. What is it that divides us? First thing is this. What divides us? A failure to listen to people. What the king said is Jeroboam and the council came before him and he refused to listen to them. He said, you don't matter. When we close our ears to people, we devalue people. That's why your wife hurts so much when you don't listen to her. That's why your kids shrivel up and and, and hide when you don't listen to them because you are devaluing them. The second thing that Rehoboam did that divided people is he listened to the wrong people. He heard one answer and he didn't like it. 
So he went and got a second opinion. And he turned to the people he knew would give him what he wanted to hear. He didn't turn to God. He didn't turn to good counsel. He turned to his friends. And he knew what they would say. He grew up with them. He knew what they would say. They were his boys. Instead of seeking peace, you know what else he did? Number three, and this divides people. He doubled down. When he could have served them and chosen to be a servant leader, when he could have served them, he doubled down. He proved a point with his pinky. He said, I'm going to raise the stakes. I'm going to up the commitment. I'm not going to lessen the load. You're going to feel it all the more. He doubled down. He made an unwise decision. That's the fourth thing that divides us. If you're struggling at home or at work or in friendships or relationships or even in marriage, perhaps you're at this point where you're making unwise decisions because of faulty input and impure motives. This is what divides us. Very simply put, if we know what divides us, we know what unites us. So in just a moment, we're going to shift, we're going to turn, we're going to discover how to live united lives. But here's what I want you to know first. Whether we live united in relationships or we live untied in relationships depends on where you put the eye. I want you to see it. Where are you going to put the eye? If you put the eye in the right place, you live in united relationships. If you put the eye in the wrong place, you live in untied relationships. The king said, I refuse to listen. Wrong place. Relationships are untied. The king said, I will listen to the wrong people. Wrong place. Untied relationships. The king said, I have the power. I double down. Wrong place. Untied relationships. The king said, I am going to do this. He put the eye in the wrong place and lived divided from his people. So how can you and I do differently? How can you and I put the eye in the right place so that we live in united homes, so that we live in united marriages, so that we live in a united church, so that we live in united workplaces and united communities? How can we do it? Well, the first thing that we can do is I can listen to people. I can be quick to listen. I will value people by living out James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I will be quick to listen. I will be slow to speak, and I will be slow to become angry. If you will learn how to listen, you will learn how to live in united relationships. Most of the time we divide ourselves because we stop listening and we start preparing our response, our answer. We are quick to speak and we're quick to become angry. But I will put myself in the right place. I will be quick to listen. Second, I will listen to the right people. We've all got people in our world that if we want to know the truth, the whole truth, the nothing but the truth, we go to them. And we've got people in our world that if we want to hear what we want to hear, 
we go to them. Which friend do you turn to the most often? The one that will say what you want to say or the one that will tell you what you need to hear? What King Rehoboam needed to hear in this moment is don't flex your muscle and your might, serve them. And he rejected that advice. But if I'm going to put myself, if I'm going to put I in the right spot, I will listen to the right people. And when I do, it's like Proverbs 2, verse 2. I'm going to turn my ear to wisdom and apply in my heart the understanding. Whenever you turn to someone else for their advice, whenever you turn to someone else for their mentoring, whenever you turn to someone else for their opinion, it's not just what would they do. It's why would they do it. You want to listen to what they say, and you want your heart to apply that wisdom to your life. The third thing, if I'm going to put myself in the right place, if I'm going to put the I in the right place, I'm going to seek peace, not problems. When other people double down, I'm going to seek peace. Because in all of life, I can either be a peacemaker or I can be a fire starter. I've got the option. When everyone else doubles down, I will seek peace. Listen to how Romans 12 verse 18 puts it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love the boundaries that's set up here. Here's the expectation. As a believer in Jesus Christ, one who's been forgiven and has peace with God, live at peace with everyone. As far as it's possible with you. As far as it depends on your response and not theirs. As far as it depends upon how, how you are acting, not on how they are acting. You live at peace with others. With everyone. I can't control your response to me. But I can control my response to you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I can't control you, but I can let him control me so that I live at peace as far as is possible with me as it depends upon me with everyone. Which means if I have a choice of, of pushing the fight further or seeking peace in that moment, I'm going to seek peace in that moment. If you're planning on starting the fight back up when you get home with your spouse, in just a moment, as we pray, put your hand on their knee. Grab their hand and say, let's seek peace today instead of problems. But if you're already thinking about how you wish you didn't come to church today because you know there's a better standard for life than pushing the problem down the road, seek peace today. Because that's the fourth thing you can do to live in united relationships. And that's to make wise decisions. That's to make wise decisions. The king, Rehoboam, said, I'm making a decision that's best for me. I'm making a decision that's based on faulty input. I'm making a bad decision. And what I'm asking you to do is to live united. Put the eye in the right place and say, because I seek peace, because I am quick to listen because the I is in the right place in our relationships. Because of that, I'm choosing to do this. Friends, the question becomes, where is the I in your relationships? 
Are you living with the eye in the right place so that you are united? Are you allowing that eye to slide so that you're untied? Are you living with the eye in the right place so that you're united with your bride? Are you allowing that eye to slide so that you're untied? Are you living with that eye in the right place when it comes to your coworkers? Are you letting it slide so you're a little untied? Where are you putting the eye? No one but you controls where you put the eye. Where are you putting the eye? United or untied? Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the chance to open your word and to speak to real life today. Help us as we apply your word to be people who put the eye in the right place so that we live united. And God, I pray also that you will bring peace in relationships because we can seek peace and not problems. God, I pray that you would help us to listen and to be heard. And I pray you'd help us to reconcile instead of continuing to push the problem down the road. Church family, as you pray, just ask that God would help you to put the eye in the right place. It's your choice who you live for. It's best if you live for him, he's given you life. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus for life, your step isn't to put the eye in the right place. Your step is to believe and to find life in Jesus. The Bible says that he served you by laying his life down for you. He died in your place because you're a sinner. You've done wrong. The Bible says they laid him in a tomb and three days later they raised him again from the dead because he's God. He is God. So I invite you to believe this simple message. The Bible says that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. And his invitation to you to find life is to believe in him for eternal life. You're a sinner that needs a Savior. He is the Savior. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.